Uh, I would say get over yourself. <laughs> don't don't take it too seriously. It is not. I don't care. Don't tell me what you're worried about. Death, not a big thing. Being broke, ending up in a shopping cart, not a problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is that's on your mind that's pushing you, it can push too hard mm-hmm. and get in your way. I didn't know I knew all about the atom, but I do. It's small. I didn't know I knew the best design in rockets isn't wide, it's tall. It also seems I knew that love and gravity are why we fall. And I didn't know I knew life's deepest meaning. I'm Dave Buda, and welcome to Darken the Page, the podcast that interviews successful writers about their creative process. Today's conversation is with songwriter, entertainer, and writer Fred Knipe, who you just heard singing a song I really love right now called Love and Gravity. Fred has spent his entire life involved in a plethora of creative projects, from being a hit-producing songwriter in Nashville to an Emmy Award-winning writer for TV. Most recently, he developed the persona of Merlin F. Ludeker, a free-range savant who has entertained large law firms in every major city with his blend of wit and intellectual humor. Fred and I talk about what has kept him in the game of creativity for so long, what he learned writing country hits in Nashville, the importance of relationships in the creative process, and where brilliant ideas come from. You'll also hear us mention the name Steve, and I just want to have you understand that as uh, we're talking about Steve Chandler, who is actually in episode one of this podcast. So you'll hear Fred mention the name Steve a few times, and that's who we're talking about. This show is sponsored by 99designs, which is a great platform to meet your graphic design needs. I use 99designs for the logo for this podcast, and you can see my whole process and the the art that got rejected, the art that worked at darkenthepage.com slash 99designs. And if you decide to use the service, uh, you can click the link there, and it's an affiliate link, so 99designs will send us a cut. And so if you do that, thank you in advance. Here is the interview with Fred Knight. And you, when you're in a creation mode, let's say today, um, what are some of the things you remind yourself of that maybe you've learned over the years? Gee, that's a big, big subject. Um, relationships to me are everything. That's that's what I'm most interested in uh, is people and how they deal with each other and how they deal with groups and how they deal with tribes and even bigger groups. Um, that's where all the magic is for me. That's, that's where the, the meaning is. Um, I, I can tell you a little story that affected me in my creative life. Mm-hmm. When I got out of the Army, I went back to school. I had a degree, and I'd been to law school, and I, uh, I had the GI Bill, and I thought, you know, it'd be a shame not to use this. So I went back to the to college and took some courses that I really wished I had taken all along. I, I just kind of coasted through college and <laughs> had a great time. Mm-hmm. 
Took, uh, got a degree in English and really enjoyed myself, but I didn't learn a whole lot. Yeah. Um, so I went back and I took some art courses and I took some a poetry class. But the art courses, there was one class in particular, and it was kind of a beginning course in design. And my teacher was a really wonderful man named Charles Littler, and he's a, he was a fine artist, but he was an even better teacher. And he had us do an assignment, I remember, I think first day of the class or first week, that was kind of perverse, it thought to me. It sounded terrible when he described it. He, he wanted us to go out into the parking lot or close to the building and find three little stones and then bring them back. And when we brought them back, he said, now I want you to take this white piece of cardboard and I want you to arrange those stones on that cardboard and make them relate to each other. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, a, an epiphany for me that uh, particularly visual arts, and then I extrapolated this later to the other things that I did, but everything is relationship. And you wouldn't think three stones would have a relationship, but they do once you put them on that paper. They relate to the paper. They relate to the space around them. Hmm. They relate to each other. If one's got a, an edge that makes this kind of a turn, another might have one that kind of matches that. And to put them in a, places where they, you can see that there's this vibration between the two mm-hmm. really makes something happen. You've got something new there. Mm-hmm. And that, that to me, was the, the bare bones. That's the essence of the craft of art, not the, not the art of art. But the craft, knowing how to, to begin, knowing how to get started, is a matter of finding those, finding a, just a relationship of any kind. Mm-hmm. That's a place to begin. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's had a, a big influence. How I start other things... Uh, it's kind of different with each each one of these arts that I've made my life with. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting a song when we were working in Nashville was always about the title. Mm. And the title would be in the chorus. And the title had to do more than one thing. The title had to please the people who were going to buy the record or listen to it on radio. But it had to grab the attention of the radio programmer. Mm-hmm. So if you had a great title... You were way, way ahead. If, if, it, if and the publishers were all hip to this, and producers were all hip to this. They knew that if they had a song that had a great title, they had a leg up. Mm-hmm. Stephen was a great title writer. He wrote a uh, uh, while well, we wrote a song. He came up with the title "She's Playing Hard to Forget," which I think one of the best titles he ever came up with. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I, I was really uh, noticing as I was reading over just all the things that you've done. Um, and it, this may be just a product of having done all this and then looking back on it, but you seem to have a very relaxed, um, carefree way of looking at this career, let's say, even. And, you know, a lot of people, including myself, you know, especially in my 20s, I'm 32 right now, but, you know, I, I did music and I was, I was like, you know, it was, I, I was dedicated. I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get you know, I'm going to have this, I'm going to, I'm going to have this many fans. I'm going to sell out house of blues. I'm going to do whatever. And, you know, and that, that kind of led to some, some burnout. And then, and then I, I sort of went back around and found some things that I was more excited about and, and, and try to do it in a more relaxed way. Were, were you ever, were you always this 
relaxed about, you know, hey, this is what comes and oh, look at that. I'm going to do a TV show now. And oh, look at that. I'm going to work with PBS or what was this always this relaxed or was there some like intention and drive behind it at some point too? That's a really wonderful question, and and it's something I hadn't thought about. I don't think of it as relaxed. Other people do, though. Somebody told me they wanted me to think about doing a Garrison Keillor sort of hosting a show uh-huh. because they like that that drawl. I guess is what you'd call it. But um, no, I I don't think the relaxation is a deliberate or a goal. It's not a goal. I, as a matter of fact, if I have any regret at all, I. I would have started all the things I did sooner. I was pretty cautious about picking up this hammer or that instrument and uh, and went slow. And for that reason, I didn't get around to really concentrating on a songwriting career until I was uh, in my 30s and <clears throat> married and had a couple of kids. Mm-hmm. And that made a difference uh, because I felt that I really could not move away from where I live here in Tucson, Arizona. Um, because my family's here, and uh, I'd have been uprooting my wife and the kids, and we were then later divorced, and I didn't want to put this on my kids. Mm-hmm. So I stayed here. And my advice to, to writers and artists, anybody in music, has always been to go where it's happening. Mm-hmm. Don't, if you're in a small town or a town that's not known for, for entertainment business or music business, Please move because you need the other people. You need a community of like-minded, uh, crazy musicians and writers. Yeah. Because they're going to help you understand whether your songs are really any good or not. Your family can't do that for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to it late, and I think that I've been late getting at all of these things. Here I am now, uh, starting another yet another enterprise, which is the singer-songwriter uh, evening. A mm-hmm. little show. Mm-hmm. I love doing shows, but it, the relaxed part of it—I don't know where that comes from. I think it's it, it will be betrayed by the the true persona inside that. I mm-hmm. I'm not at all relaxed. People mm-hmm. ask me if before I go on stage with one of my performances, I'm nervous, and I said, "Well, yes, thank God. If I weren't nervous, I'd be kind of phoning it in or or not as careful, not giving it all of my attention." Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm plenty plenty nervous even after the hundredth time with a, a piece of material. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that that Steve mentioned in the interview I did with him a few months ago was a term that you both use, um, which is if something just doesn't feel right or it's done this creatively but not that well, you could call it bad magic. And I was wondering if you could expand oh, on that I a little bit. Yeah. Well, you're looking for magic all the time, and bad magic obviously is not magic at all. Yeah. But uh, it's intended to be a penetrating <laughs> label, mm-hmm. one that gets through. I, I was trying, to be, as, as you were describing, this is something that Stephen and I use all the time. There are several of those, because uh, we went through a lot of these difficulties together. One of them being marketing songs to Nashville. And... Uh, we learned that in a meeting with a producer or a publisher where we were pitching a song, we would know right away whether they were listening on plus, listening mm-hmm. with the dial turned to plus instead of negative. Where, and what we meant by that was that there is a preset for a lot of these guys. They uh, don't enjoy listening. because They've heard too many songs and they've got too many what they used to call squirrels, people who weren't serious. 
mm-hmm. uh, coming in and playing things that were not up to p- professional standard. That guy's going to be listening, not on plus, but on minus. Mm-hmm. But we had people who had heard about us or who had heard, heard a song someplace else that we wrote who were listening and expected to like it and yeah. it made all the difference in the world. Hmm. It's real hard to drag somebody out of his preset mode into a positive mode of when you are uh, small, mm-hmm. small in their estimation. They're big. Yeah. That was another phrase. Yeah. So how did, did you have any ways to do that besides the times when people would just approach you because they had heard you and, and then would have that, that already, that be in that plus category? Do you have a ways to maybe set that up so they would be more open to hearing some of the beauty that you were creating? Well, we tried other ways. I mean, sometimes we'd find a friend or a connection, and it might be a you know, three, three times removed connection, mm-hmm. and we would wangle uh, a meeting with an A&R man or somebody in power, and uh, that that was not the best thing because that guy would be listening on minus. Yeah. But but the other thing that we did that was unusual in its success was to send things out cold, and uh, with no preparation to people who did not know us at all, and um, that was the launch really. Stephen sent a song that we had written, a song called "I Can't Get to You from Here," uh, to the producer for a country artist named Don Williams, who's one of our favorites, beautiful mm-hmm. singer, um, who had had, God, I don't know, 50 number one records or something. And this producer named Garth Fundus, Garth was listening to stuff coming in the mail. And he tells a story to this day at songwriter workshops about how I ruined things for him. Uh-huh. Uh, and what I did was send a song, or we send a song, Actually, Stephen sent this. It wasn't me. Uh, by him finding a really great song in all of this uh, stuff that was not any good at all, and it meant to him that he had to continue doing that. Service. Right <laughs> now, now everything has potential. If, if you yeah, could right. just find so one the thing, was there. it was just the one little nugget that kept him digging. What is your what are your some of your routines or habits like? What is it What is it like if we were to follow you around with a video camera for oh, for a gosh. week or so? Okay. What kind of things do we see? You'd find me avoiding it. You'd uh-huh. find me avoiding finding any number of things to do. Clearing the decks is what I call it, uh-huh. and clearing the decks can go on all day and deep into the night, uh-huh. and you never get around to the songwriting. I, I but can't you have some the, clean decks though. I got, well, yeah, yes and no. I don't get them so clean, I can't come back to them the next day. Right. Um, <laughs> you want to leave some work for the next day, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> but um, I I can't say that writing is easier for me than, than it used to be. You would expect it, to, as you improved in some ways, you'd, you'd also find it more facile. But mm-hmm. it's not. I, I dread writing, and I, part of it is just having really high standards yeah, but part of it is well, you know about this. Anybody who comes up with the title of the darkened page for his blog mm-hmm. knows that's that's the the wall. Yeah, you got to get on the other side of that before you uh, you've got anything. Yeah, and getting started is, and you've heard this many times, and I'm sure you feel the same way. It's that's the hard part. Yeah. It's just opening that door, getting something on the page is very very important, and it will. Not necessarily be good, but it is an opening. It's mm-hmm. the aperture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I don't see creativity as being 
you know, people do ask the question, where does it come from? Where, do you, where does your creativity come from? Where does mm-hmm. that song come from? Right. And it's never felt to me like something that comes from someplace else. It's not a storehouse or a treasure trove or anything that, you know, if I can just find the key and get in there, there it is. Because mm-hmm. it isn't. It mm-hmm. isn't there. It's, it's, it's just breaking yourself through that resistance. Resistance is a terrible thing, and it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. But breaking through that to get started is the secret. Yeah. And for this last album, the, the humorous songs, it wasn't... It wasn't particularly titles that moved me. It was a an idea that I thought sounded funny, mm-hmm. either a, a phrase or a couple of words or a concept that just sounded funny to me. Uh, the the river of your opinion, the wide wide river of your opinion, it just sounded like a funny song to me. Mm-hmm. That's all. So if I ask you to elect or hire me or to let me. Father, you a child. Keep in mind how much I really know. Given time to think about it twice. I didn't know I knew. I love so I, I love this conversation about where does art come from? Not not from like yeah. the silly journalist perspective about you know and although the, some of those questions really I mean they asked. Louis Armstrong, you know, what is jazz? And he says, like, hey, if, you know, if you got to ask, you'll never know. And what yeah, a cool man. answer that was, you know. But thank you, Louis. You know, and um, but it, it is it is a curious thing to me, and I think different people relate to it differently. Some people say, well, you know, I I think I channel it from something another universe, or some people say, you know. I'm a genius and, and I'm coming up with it through my own genius or whatever. And, um, and so, so I would, I'm curious to see what, what you, you know, if you've ever thought about like, you know, where, where does it really come from? Not that it necessarily matters because then I think in a sense, wherever we think it, uh, like the, the, the thinking brain that thinks it knows where it comes from is not the brain no. that, it comes from anyways. So it's like a kind of a yeah, catch 22, right? The right brain, left brain problem. And I, and, that, and it's a good, if it's actually true scientifically, I don't know, but the metaphor is fine. Mm-hmm. You do have two different operating systems there. And I spend a lot of time in the, in the OS that is uh, about an analysis mm-hmm. and scientific method and the, the empirical, uh, that, and that's death for the creativity for me. Well, I've, you know, if I, have to read an insurance policy in the morning, mm-hmm. I'm going to have a hard time getting back into that other uh, operating system. Yeah. Uh, so you, you've got to preserve that and take care of it. Um, I'm sure that you've spoken with Steve about the, about the need for play, and play has always been a big part of it for me. Um, it's because that's, it, it, it strikes me as really wonderful that the verb that we use about music is to play it. Mm-hmm. Because that's what you're doing. You're playing, and it's just exactly the same thing as as you did when you were on the playground or in the sandbox. Right. You're you're inviting. You're using your imagination, and you're. And for me, the important thing is playing with somebody else. It's. Uh, I haven't been in a lot of bands, but I love the idea of playing with other musicians, or playing for people because that's an exchange. That's not just a one way thing. Mm-hmm. I get from them uh, the satisfaction of 
them laughing or or singing along with what I like. Mm-hmm. So play is everything. Mm-hmm. What are some things? Words for yeah. me are are about play. I don't know how that happened. That must have happened very early. I loved uh, Victor mm-hmm. Borga, and I loved the sound of his voice and his accent. Mm-hmm. And I there was a an actor, a comic actor. Well, you might know Danny Kaye because the the old movies are on, and he was in White Christmas and or or one of those. Uh-huh. My sister loves White Christmas. We used to watch it all the time. Of uh, playing with words, and he could sing these uh, unbelievably tongue twisting songs, mm-hmm. and his timing and his diction and everything was so hypnotic, mesmerizing that I was just carried away when I was a kid. I thought, that's, that wouldn't it be great to be able to do that? Mm-hmm. Music and humor words were uh, an art by themselves for me, even though I didn't know it at that time, that that's kind of where I was headed. Mm-hmm. What are some things so that... So playful is, yeah. is a big piece of creativity. You've got to get to where you can play, and you can't play if you're uh, talking to a lawyer yeah. or a highway patrolman. Unless you're talking in front of a group of lawyers. Unless that's right. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's the yeah. clear distinction. Um, what are some things you do that when you find yourself not in that play zone that maybe, you know, can get you back into that place of imagination? I, I quit. I, yeah. I quit what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, and take a break, do something else. Um, and it's funny what will light me up and I'll suddenly know that I'm, that I'm in the right frame of mind to go work on a song or work on something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so different when I'm up for that. And I don't always know how to do that. I can't, I wish I had a secret I could share. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to get there. But then that's, that's in support of the, this terrible thing that I've reported that I find writing very difficult still. Looking over your work and and then talking to Steve it it seems like one of the things that you do whether you're maybe like on doing this on purpose or not is you 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 go toward the just the the ridiculous one of the sort of creative sparks for you seems to be to just leave what just leave normal as fast as possible um, you're absolutely right. It's a very apt observation that I go after just the absurd. Yeah. Um, but I hadn't thought of that as a tactic. It, yeah. it comes so naturally to me. That's where you've got to go as far as I'm concerned, and it's a part of the reason for the resistance is that when you do that, you get a very low percent of high-grade ore, but you do get some high-grade. Mm-hmm. But you throw away... I mean, writing comedy for me is a very low return on the invested time. Mm-hmm. You've got to write so much and throw away so much mm-hmm. uh, to get anything good that it's that's kind of frustrating, especially if you feel any pressure to get something done on time for a deadline or you're trying to make some money or whatever the pressures are. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I go, I, I go for the absolutely farthest out, most ridiculous thing I can think of and then kind of pull back from there. Yeah. But that's the door I was talking about. That's the opening. Yeah. If I go there and I get something that is maybe not usable, uh, 
but wild. I know I'm okay, and and that's a platform from which to proceed. Yeah, it's almost as if you know. If, if I said, okay, you know, what would we if we, we were going to write a song just as a joke? You know, this yeah. this idea that that uh, you know I'm going to write a song, but it's it's just going to be as a joke. I'm literally going to just throw it out after it's done. It's yeah, not going to be something that. <laughs> Because that well, that you, frees me up. Yeah. Well, you t- you've taken the uh, the importance out of it, and that's really, really, really what's really important is getting rid of importance. <laughs> it's very if important. If you're trying to do something significant, that will kill it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So give give that up. It is, this does not matter. What I'm writing here does not matter. Yeah. Then then you've got a shot. Boy, the minute it becomes heavy, and and important. You you crossed up your little uh, magic person inside. Mm-hmm. It's something we talked about on the last episode, actually, with with a friend of mine because he he has a way of we, the show was on the, the art of the rant, you know, and, and yeah, how, oh, I saw that, you know, and and how it, it it's like there are these kind of phases where you know you go through where you're putting out something before you start thinking about it. So, you know, like there's the <laughs> random videos you make or the audios or writing a song or whatever. You just, you just yeah. go for it and you just let it go. And then, and then somebody says, can you do that again? And then <laughs> you go, okay. And then you try to go back and do it, but it's not, you don't know how to, you don't, we, you don't remember that what you're actually trying to do again is the space, not the content. So of ah, course you go right. back and try to repeat it, but it doesn't work. And then you kind of hit that's like the second stage of the artist where you're like, okay, like I did it once, but I don't know how to do it again, and I just hope it comes around again. And then, well, what ho- is it, yeah. Dave? Tell me, what is it about the rant that makes it funny? I I I liked Sam Kinison. Yeah, and then, I mean he was the king of the rant. There was nothing besides rant in what he had to say. It was all yeah, <laughs> extremely incensed, indignant, very deeply angry. Yeah. But it was funny because it it was taken to that extreme. It was it was absurd in its extremity. Yeah, yeah. I I just I I think we we just we want to applaud people who are gonna be totally unfiltered and honest and authentic. I just think it's it's like it's such a you know. I and I I think there's on some level we get that that humor is just about tension and release. It's not about you know, saying things that are funny. It's just about like how much can you, can you hit yeah. on, can you strike a chord that, you know, the, the strings are already there, but like, can you, can you, are you willing to, to put out the frequency that'll resonate, you know? Yeah. I think that's well said. And, and so, yeah. I, 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 and and the tough thing is again, recreating it, you know, because it's like you, that space comes from this place of not caring so then, no. Then, how do you not care enough to make something, but not have it be every once in a while? You know, that's just the ultimate struggle of the artist. Is like, how do you put out good work on a consistent basis when you can't force it, and, and it's not important and not significant? Yeah, I have a, <laughs> I have a song that has a bit of a rant in it. I don't write rants, and I, I'm not gone there intentionally. But I have a song that's had a funny reaction. I wrote it for lawyers. And it's a song about a situation I present to the lawyers that I sympathize 
with, and that is that they are scapegoats. Everybody hates lawyers, and they're used to this. They kind of gave up on their professional image a long time ago. Mm-hmm. But I tell them that I think it's unfair, and all of this, of course, is done in my Dr. Ludicrous accent. Mm-hmm. But the song is about my contention that the better thing to do would be to rotate this unkindness among the other professions. The doctors, the veterinarians, the florists, those son-of-a-bitches. Uh-huh. And, and the son-of-a-bitches comes as such a surprise <laughs> that I would say it, because this character isn't like that. Right. But I say it with such vehemence that it just gets a huge laugh. Yeah. And I, I enjoy singing it so much that I included it in my recent songwriter show. And there were, there were, it was a huge laugh, but there were people who were made really uncomfortable by suddenly being shocked by this scream son of a bitches uh-huh. in music. I didn't know I knew the way to be believable is talk real low. I didn't know I knew the trick to neurosurgery is go real slow. Surprisingly, I knew that love and gravity are why we fall. But I didn't know I knew life's deepest meaning is it's short, and that's all. If there were no importance and no significance, and and you just had had nothing mattered about um, the what you would really want to say to to other artists or creatives um what would you say to them i I would say get over yourself (laughs) don't don't take it too seriously it is not i don't care don't tell me what you're worried about death not a big thing being broke ending up in a shopping cart on the street no just forget it not a problem Mm-hmm. don't let it get uh, too big mm-hmm. whatever it is that's on your mind that's pushing you it can push too hard mm-hmm. and get in your way mm-hmm. so I mean we've started out talking about relaxing my relaxed <laughs> manner <laughs> well look at so that manana, we're juxt- the juxtaposition I would say manana is the one word I'd give people yeah what is what is that man, what does manana mean for you? Manana means I can stop doing this right now. I'll yeah. come back to it later. Yeah. Yeah. If it feels bad, like Fran Tarkenton said, if you if it's not fun, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah, and I I mean I think that 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 just can't be overstated this idea that you know, if it's not fun, you're doing it wrong and if it's not fun, it's not going to produce the result you want anyways. That's so. right. Exactly. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I think it's a real, it's been a problem for me to, to do writing, whether it was humor or music or any of the stuff I've done, by beginning with analysis. And it's, a, it's kind of a natural place I go to to solve problems. It's a solve, problem-solving skill. As you look at it and you see, well, how is this like other things? And here they, they have this in common. This is the common denominator. What has worked in the past? All of these things are a more scientific approach, mm-hmm. and they are left brain. They won't, they won't get you what you want. Mm-hmm. They might 
you might end up writing something, but it will be way inferior to what you would write if you cracked through that barrier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's nice, you know, in in that way, the writing, songwriting, you know, and any kind of creative pursuit is is just eternally humbling. You just can't, you can't win. You know, the part of us that 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 can control things and and have uh, you know um, control the outcome and all that other that the part of us that can win that wants to win is just never going to be able to do it it's and it and it's it's you know what what you said about it, it's never been it's never gotten easier i, I don't have to, actually haven't talked to anybody who actually says that it's it's easier now i mean i think that they they've come to terms with things you know, yeah. so when you know it's not going to get easier, and you get that, it gets easier in a sense. You know, but yeah. but but well, um, I met one. Yeah. Guy, excuse me. Yeah. that's basically what I was going to say. Yeah, I met one guy, a, a songwriter uh, in Nashville, very successful songwriter. He had this list of number one hits, and then kind of quit writing. And I was having lunch with him one day, uh, or cocktails, and uh, I asked him. I said, "How come? How come you're not writing more?" And uh, and he was under contract with a publisher and everything. And he said, I'm uh, too much slop in the trough. And I thought that was a very strange thing to say. Slop I, in the trough? I thought about it. In? I didn't have to ask him what it meant. He meant that like a farm animal, he was overfed. He had, it was too easy now. His life was too easy. He didn't have the pressures mm-hmm. of meeting a deadline or needing to make money. Mm-hmm. He'd made plenty and didn't need to make any more. And mm-hmm. that took away his need to write. Yeah. Well, I'm a little different, and I don't know that that says anything great about his songwriting. Mm-hmm. If they were, he did also add to that. He says, "I know how to do this now." He says, "I can do this. I can write another one, and and I know what will work and what won't." Mm-hmm. So uh, that's that's not me. That's uh, I live somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't write because I have to. That's that's another thing I hear a lot of writers I respect say that they've absolutely got to write, that they would die if they couldn't express right. themselves. Not me. Mm-hmm. I do it because I get something from it that's important, but it's not. It's, I, I don't feel that I've got to express myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a tricky thing. You know, I think uh, there are people out there that 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 have it you know, okay, I I have to write, it's my, I have to create, it's my outlet, yeah. it's this and that. Um, and it can be very tricky to to play with, to play with that kind of fire. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah. yeah, you get, I get the image of them, you know, in a tent with the rain pouring down, writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's uh, one of the interesting things that, I've learned just by interviewing all these people. I, there was a woman named Angela Loria on a few episodes ago, and, and she does this program, which she calls Three Days to Done. And she takes authors that have an idea for a book, that have all the stuff hashed out pretty much, mostly nonfiction and only certain types of nonfiction. And yeah. she she basically just locks them in a room for three days and you know coaches them and helps them out. And then you know about 60% of them finish the book in three days. And and it's like she she basically what she did was she looked at the hours that we actually spent writing, you know, that that, you know, the writing the book really maybe only took like 
30 hours or 40 hours uh-huh. or 20 hours. I mean, she has the numbers, but but then there's all this crap in between and all the other stuff, you know, but actually sitting there and writing the book, um, it, does, it, 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 we, it we think it takes a long time, but really it's it's like get yourself there and do it. And and sometimes the pressure is nice because you don't have to, you know, you're not, yeah. you just well, have to do it. Secret. Well, pressure can be useful. And if the pressure is imposed by somebody else, it has a different uh, force. And I think that's, that's what she's doing. And I, and I think it would be very effective because you will make a commitment to someone else that you will honor better than the commitment you make to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you you will say, oh, well, I'm going to go in my room and I'm going to stay in there until this thing is written. But you, you can break that one with less compunction than you can, having set this up with her mm-hmm. and her waiting outside the door with her pistol. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need you need discipline. It's Discipline's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And limits are good. Limits somehow are liberating. I don't know why that's true. Somebody else has pointed this out, but the if you have to write a particular kind of a song and and it has to rhyme in a certain way, it it taxes you in a way that may be good. It's not it's not like a bad pressure. It's not like the analysis going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've got to get crazy. You're right. Uh, if Stephen has t- suggested that that's how I work. It's true, and I can't always do it. I've got to be by myself. And I'll tell you, one great place for me is in the car. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because I've got, I've been able to uh, give my brain plenty to do that is not too hard. Mm-hmm. But we'll keep it, you know, that will keep the left brain occupied, the pedals and the steering wheel and the traffic signals. Yeah. And, and uh, highway driving is even better for me. Mm-hmm. But the car, much has been made lately of how what the car means to Americans. It it is uh, our private space more and more. It's very it true. Is, it's where we can rent. It's where I can get crazy with with accents, <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's where I sing. I sing every day in the car. Yeah. So I have one last question that um, that I kind of asked, but I think I, I this is the sort of wrap up question I ask. Um, most of the guests when I remember to ask it. Um, if you could go back in time and slip yourself a note, maybe something to you and Steve um, back when you just, just first started songwriting um, and you were, you were getting into this and then the you that, that is lived through all these years could write a note and, and slip it back through the fabric of time. Uh, what would you say to yourself and Steve back then? Mm, what comes to mind immediately is simplify don't complicate it, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I mean, that takes many forms. With, with the humor writing, for me, I have to remember that, well, the other thing is just trust it. Trust yourself. Mm-hmm. Because it's when you don't trust yourself that you resort to the methods that don't work, the analysis, the uh, taking things apart and... <laughs> Comparing, comparing to yourself to other people, that's also a real bad idea. Mm-hmm. But trust yourself and simplify, those are the two big ones. Mm-hmm. All about the atom, but I do. It's small, 
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this interview, there's one more. Well, there's many more that I think you would enjoy, but but one in particular, um, which is actually the first episode with a man named Steve Chandler, who we mentioned in this show. Um, Steve and, and Fred uh, have been friends for over 50 years together, and I met Fred through Steve, and um, they I really 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 enjoy that one. It's talkingthepage.com slash zero zero one. And make sure if you want to send me any feedback or just say hi, you can always reach me at darkenthepage at gmail.com. So thanks for listening. Now go make great art. Think about it twice. I didn't know I knew the way to be believable is talk real low. I didn't know I knew the trick to neurosurgery. Go real slow Surprisingly I knew That love and gravity Are why we fall But I didn't know I knew Life's deepest meaning Is it's short And that's all As I know I do sometimes Remind me that I do get what it is That's serious or interesting or wise It turned out that I knew that love and gravity Are why we fall And now I can report That life's real meaning is it's short And that's all